Welcome back to Red Lens for our 2022 year-end roundup episode. Red Lens started in May of this year. Since then, I've done 10 episodes so far, interviewing 10 different people, photographers, videographers, and people who document radical movements in history. 10 episodes in seems like a good time to pause and look back, in addition to it being the end of the year. Honestly, I'm a little surprised I got this far doing this podcast, because a lot of podcasts don't last beyond a few episodes, but uh, here we are. And especially since I'm doing this DIY style on no budget. So for this year-end episode, I decided to invite back two of the great guests I had on this year for a kind of roundtable discussion. And so I'm excited to have two friends and comrades who are also activists and also photographers back on to do this together from a red lens. So welcome back, Louise and Kim. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be back. So I'm hoping we can look back together at 2022 from our perspective as activists and movement photographers. Um, in case people haven't listened to the other episodes you're on yet, why don't we just start with brief introductions? Let us know who you are, where you live, and what organizing you're involved with. I suppose I should call on one of you. I'm used to only having one guest. All right. Um, Kim, go for it. Um, hi. Um, my name is Kim DeFranco. I work with Women Against Military Madness here in St. Paul, Minnesota, Twin Cities, Um St. Paul, Minneapolis, Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, been doing photography, uh, seems like practically all my life. Um, really enjoy it. I uh, really love taking photos of action um, and some other types of photos. But definitely when we have our demonstrations, it's great to be out with my camera. And Luis? Hey, um, I'm Luis Fuentes. <clears throat> I live in Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm, I'm organized with the Centro CSO Community Service Organization, and we um, organize against uh, police uh, brutality, uh, fight for public education, and um, fight for immigrant rights, and uh, with the demand of legalization for all. With photography, I started like three years ago. Well, it's already been three years. Um, <laughs> Just uh, documenting like social movements here in East LA, um, Boyle Heights area. And um, I started exploring like street photography and stuff. And it's been histories from there. Awesome. So I figured we could just start out talking about, oh, actually, before I do that, I have to just give props to Kim for putting St. Paul first in the Twin Cities. You know, everyone knows they think if they know any city of Minnesota, it's usually Minneapolis. And uh, those of us in St. Paul get a little salty about that. So thank you. St. Paul is the capital city. It's the best city. Well, they're equally good. <laughs> so so I, I, I had to note that. So, yeah, why don't we start out talking about some of the biggest things that happened this year in the news and in our movements that we're involved with that, you know, there a lot of the big things that happen in the news are things that provoke protests that we're out at either organizing or taking photos or both. So I don't know. I was think, hoping we can have more of an informal conversation, but just start with a discussion, jump in whenever you feel like it, and we can talk about different topics. So why don't we start with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the ending of abortion as a right throughout this whole country? 
what did that look like in LA and in the Twin Cities in terms of protests and what did you see and what's it been like since then? Why don't you start, why, why don't you start Luis? Yeah, because I know we, we talked about this some um, last time you were on. Yeah, so I'd love to hear more about LA. Yeah, sure. Um, so right when the leak uh, came out with how the Supreme Court was going to rule with Roe versus Wade, there was like an emergency action in downtown with a bunch of like left forces who uh, came out and organized in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, not Supreme Court, the U.S. courthouse. It was like a couple hundred people. Um, it started off with a rally and then it marched towards uh, what we call um, Pershing Square. And then around that area, with like what, 30 minutes in, um, like as people were leaving, there was like, like some federal police for the courts that came by and started like trying to like speed through people. And because of that, people began like unblocking the intersection kind of thing. And uh, the cops became more provocative and started coming out of their cars with their batons and things like that. And more squad cars came out. Pretty much like they started instigating a a bunch of things. And then the LAPD came in and started um, shoving people kind of thing. I remember one time um, the federal police um came out with um they, they pretty much um trying to smoke us out kind of thing and he pointed that thing at me when he came out I was like oh shit kind of thing <laughs> i kind of flinched too because i thought he was gonna shoot me but um people just spread off because um they started like trying to disperse everyone so they point they pointed that at you while you were shooting pictures like with your camera obviously yeah it, it was like a little camera too so i don't know yeah, and then I witnessed the whole thing about they tried to arrest somebody and they tackled this guy down and his face almost landed on a fire um, hydrant. People were trying to, were yelling at him, like, let him go, kind of thing. Uh, things were getting thrown at the cops. There were rookie cops and they were like scared out of their mind. They had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> and eventually, um, the, the guy they were arresting got de arrested. And they were just like cornered and then they kind of like, they pretty much left. But um, huh. cops in riot gear came out. Let's see. Yeah, it just blocked up Pershing Square. Um, people were just like wandered all over the place. There was like a high police presence everywhere. And then I saw people went back to like square one where the courthouse was and LA City Hall. That pretty much, uh, that's when I left pretty much. Yeah, there was like all kinds of people there. Um, uh, some of the signs that people held were pretty funny because there's there's somewhere it's like, what was that? Uh, Supreme Justice lady that recently died, uh, Ruth. It was like oh. Ruth set. It was like Ruth sent me here. It's like what? Okay, but there there's some. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like a correlation with like white feminism and radical feminism between the Mm -hmm. two where it was just very obvious just based on the messaging that they brought out with them but um it was another time where it was way more dramatic I think it was on a Friday or something like that it was like a another action that happened and this time people began marching on the freeways kind of thing and um the police were even more bolder and um, began arresting people, um, violently shoving people. I think they even shoved like a celebrity that was there too, and that made it big out here. 
it was like a actor from fuller house or something like that i forgot but yeah something along those lines but uh do you get that a lot in la with actors or famous people coming out to protest sometimes honestly like the actors that that are kind of famous nowadays i don't even know who they are that just <laughs> that just like see see it online like oh actor of so-and-so got um arrested by the police i was, I was like oh wow and then i kind of saw that and i was like oh mm, who would have thought but um <laughs> Yeah, that was even more dramatic. Like everyone was way all over the all over downtown. But yeah, at, at that point I didn't really like try to go into their free because they were like kettling people, the same tactics that they did during the uprisings. I think those were the main actions. And then there's something with this organization called it was associated with Repcom, but pretty much they chained themselves to LA city hall and then they poured red paint all over the thing to resemble like blood or something like that it was like a dramatic like theatrical thing and of course heavy police presence like they blocked everything up the police blocked everything up and tried to get them out and arrested them and kind of thing they chained themselves to like a giant pillar kind of thing so it was like what all right i I saw that kind of went viral online i think because i saw like some reels of that action Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got there all late, but <laughs> I saw like the after effects like when they were getting arrested. Wow. But yeah. So Kim, do you want to talk about Minnesota, the protests since Roe versus Wade and the ongoing organizing? Well, you'll probably have to jump you'll have to jump in more since uh the protests happen when I work, since I work on second shift. But mm-hmm. I know a great response in the beginning. Um there's like thousands of people there, but uh, you can give more details, Brad. But I know uh, out of that, out of all those protests, we started a new coalition called the Minnesota Abortion Action Coalition. And uh, what we were planning on doing uh, is to kind of look in to get more targets. And we recently found out that the state decides to fund, give monies to these fake abortion clinics, as we call it. Uh, it's like birthright and any of those like uh, pregnancy crisis centers where they lure you in. If you're pregnant, we can help. But it's really it's all about just guilting women into not having an abortion. And they don't really care once the child is born. So there have been a, a campaign against closing, defunding, stop funding with our state dollars to fund these fake abortion clinics. Yeah, and there's way more of those in Minnesota than there are clinics that offer abortion, right? There's only mm-hmm. eight abortion clinics in the in the whole state. And do you remember, I don't remember how many of these crisis pregnancy centers there are, but there's like dozens of them at least, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And I believe an abortion clinic fr- from out of state is planning to move in within the Twin Cities just because they can, uh, we still, still legal here where they can set up uh, business. So that's really great that those are coming in and definitely uh, stop funding state, having state money fund these fake clinics because they do just a disservice to women are obviously in crisis and they're just using them for their own goals in the end and not really care about what happens when uh, the children are born. Yeah. So there were the first protest when the leak happened and then when Roe versus Wade was overturned that were the biggest ones, like mm-hmm. 10, 10,000, 5,000, like thousands of people. And then, yeah, so after that, 
there have been a series of protests that have been smaller that demand have been in front of some of these crisis pregnancy centers demanding that they the state cut off funding for them because almost all of them too are operated openly like you go to their website it talks about their religious mission and all this mm-hmm. stuff so and then there's also been protests on campus at the University of Minnesota Students for a Democratic Society is the main group organizing those together with others and pressuring the University of Minnesota Minnesota administration to open abort start providing abortion services at their clinics on the different campuses around the state. They used to actually up until 1974 or 76, and then they stopped for whatever reason. But that could really help with access to abortion around the state because if you're not in the Twin Cities area, forget about it. There's almost nothing mm-hmm. in the whole state. And there are University of Minnesota campuses around different parts of the state. So that could really help solve that problem. So I've been at some of those protests, taking pictures and stuff too. And yeah, I think we'll keep seeing more. Like both, all of us are in states, Minnesota and California, where abortion is still legal, but it's not always accessible for people who don't have the money or live in areas of the state where there aren't any clinics nearby and you have to travel and all of that. So Mm-hmm. So that's one big issue. Why don't we move on to talk about the war, talk about war or wars. The conflict in Ukraine started this year. There have been a lot of protests in the Twin Cities about that. Have there been protests out in L.A.? Unfortunately, um, it's mostly like pro-Ukraine um, protests that were going on and they became they were pretty massive. But honestly, like a lot of people don't even know what they're supporting. Like, like people what? think that. Like those protests were calling for more U.S. intervention, basically? Pretty much. They were like uh, siding with Ukraine on this issue kind of thing. Um, a lot of people think that this war started this year, but objectively, you know, like mm-hmm. this has been going on since at least 2014. And a lot of people forgot about that stuff that has been happening since then. Where, um, I don't know. It's just like people are on this whole tirade of like oh putin is gonna nuke us kind of thing i was just like <laughs> so people just go because um it's a trendy thing to do i don't know i mean i've been busy with work so i never like had the chance to check it out myself but i just see people just holding things that holding flags with the like the nazi symbol on the ukrainian flag i'm just like all right okay <laughs> like from the azov battalion and things like that the yeah far, far like, right wing it's, it's, and all that. right it's really weird Mm-hmm. Like people just like holding these the flags with that symbol on it, and it's of course like people are always like calling for like U.S. sanctions, that kind of thing, without even knowing like what sanctions even do. And uh, some people don't even care like whether it's harmful uh, mm-hmm. to countries when it is opposed, and it's just like ah, okay, whatever. But yeah, that a lot of protests like that has been going on like since it started like this year, and then. Uh, it can't. It it doesn't happen. It's not happening like as much now, but because of like other things that are happening around the world, like you know with Iran and stuff. But yeah, um, it's mostly happening like in the west side of LA, and that's like the richer side. Yeah, for the most part, it's sometimes in downtown, but I don't really hear about the protests. It just happens, kind of thing. So usually I hear about it like uh, like a week in advance, but. These type of things like just pop up, which is weird because I don't hear about it. And I'm usually like on top of the things, but Mm. oh, well. How about you, Kim? You're involved in Women Against Military Madness. And I've been at a lot of the protests here. 
You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, it's still, uh, even in our anti-war movement, <clears throat> uh, there's still some confusion exactly what's going on. Uh, but we, us and along with other anti-war groups in the Twin Cities, where we talk about the U.S. not escalating war, because it's, as Luis was saying, it's been going on for years. So we put out a message about no proxy war uh, for the U.S. because it's definitely talking about that, even though a lot of people still believe that the U.S. isn't involved, but they're sending money and weapons. So obviously it means we are or the U.S.'s government is involved. But it, it's I mean, it, it's clear to me and for uh, some of the uh, most of the folks of the anti-war movement. So, I mean, it's it's complex, but as long as we keep putting the message out that we don't want a proxy war, the U.S. should not be in a proxy war. And Joe Biden's already sent like billions of dollars to the Ukraine to fund a war, which we say we are always against sending more money to military uh, instead of spending it here uh, for human needs here at the at our home. So uh, but saying that so then we've had a. a a good chunk of protests, either focusing on this proxy war or just noting that the U.S. has these endless wars and we want to end them and always bringing it back that the people we should fund human needs and not war. And truly, the U.S. military budget is just su such a high ratio from other uh, countries that it just makes sense to stop funding wars. And a little other layers like that's why we have a lot of people, refugees fleeing their country, their homeland, because no one wants to leave their homeland because they feel like it. It's a lot to do with what the U.S. is doing in other people's countries, too. Uh, and that's always true, and it will be true. And it's just more of us to get that message out, because people still think that people coming from other countries is because they just feel like it. But it's really the underlining is the U.S. involvement in their countries. Yeah, this year there's been definitely in Minnesota and I think around the country an influx of refugees from Ukraine and also Afghanistan uh, mm -hmm. with the U.S. finally sort of withdrawal there. Uh, so that's definitely true. The immigration to the U.S. tracks directly with U.S. imperialist mm -hmm. meddling in other countries. But how would you say like the, the protests that have happened here around this issue have been like we just talked about Roe versus Wade, 5,000, 10,000 people. These protests have been smaller, right? Because there's a mm -hmm. smaller number of people who have that sort of anti-imperialist understanding, but they, they've been consistent, right? Right. Well, it, it's also like another kind of um, level that I noticed is that everyone was so concerned about the Ukraine refugees, mostly or like white versus the refugees from Iraq that were being bombarded by uh, the U.S., which they're not white, but all of a sudden we have to, uh, the country was in an upward to help all the refugees coming from the Ukraine. I'm like, what's the difference? Also seems like whenever the U.S. says something is good and we should go bomb them, a lot of people are confused and will back the U.S. because it's their patriotic duty. Um, it's even hard to say those words uh, because they just don't quite understand like the layers behind it. I mean, I get it. They want to help people, generally speaking, hum be humanitarian. But if the U.S. just stops invading other countries or doing proxy wars, the people would feel very fine to stay at their house and, and not have to leave their country. I mean, it seems like a no brainer, but, you know, 
Yeah, I, I think about like in the punk scene in the 80s, it was really a, the central thing was like Reagan sucks and nuclear war is really close and we have to oppose that. Whereas now we're closer to nuclear war with Russia now than we were even in the 80s. And you get like punk albums of like, you know, songs for Ukraine, you know, like supporting the mm-hmm. nu- nuclear brinksmanship with Russia. It's just drives me nuts but Mm. anything else on this topic Luis or should we move on to labor struggles um no I don't think I have anything else to add just pretty sour like the whole refugee thing that they let the Ukrainian refugees in but (laughs) we had um Haitian and Salvia Guatemalan uh refugees as stuck at the border for God knows how long because of this, uh, the the title thing that doesn't let them in because of COVID kind of thing, but they let the Ukrainian ones in, <laughs> which is like the hypocrisy with um, the U.S. immigration system here. Well, just to kind of dovetail off of that, the hypocrisy was on full force when there is uh, people from Haiti trying to get into the U.S. and there was actual border it was a border police on horses with whip, mm-hmm. yep, whipping. The uh, Haitians to get back. I'm like, uh, if that wasn't such a strong message of what how the U.S. treats people, well, I don't know what is. But that was, I mean, that wasn't like another big story that wasn't as big, but it was definitely it it hit the media for a little bit on how the Haitian refugees were being treated at the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that basic white supremacy of the immigration system goes back mm-hmm. to its very beginning, like the first big among the first big immigration laws in this country was the Chinese Exclusion Act and mass deportation of Mexicans in the 30s and all of that yeah so it continues to this very day right as we're talking mm-hmm. Ukraine Ukraine versus Haiti can't get any clearer so why don't we move on to talk about labor struggles a little bit i know here in the twin cities this year the minneapolis teachers and education and support professionals went on strike for 3 weeks in march we can talk about that there's also like unionization among Amazon happening this year and then Starbucks, Starbucks. workers all over the country. <laughs> the Teamsters are gearing up for a big contract fight and might go on strike this next year. Have you seen labor struggles that you've been out at, like taking pictures this year, Luis, either strikes or protests or anything? No, I, have, I haven't because of work. Um, they usually happen during the day when I'm super busy. But um, So you need to go on strike so you can go take pictures. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but um, one I remember out here is that a bunch of workers from the universities are, went on strike. Um, oh, yeah. For, yeah. So that's been going on for at least a month from what I remember. And it's still going on. But a lot of it is going on like in West L.A. Again, it's kind of like out of my range because I dread the traffic over here. (laughs) So that's at the whole University of California system through the whole state, right? So, yeah, the UC in L.A. In L.A., that would be UCLA. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's like a 40 minute drive for me. So (laughs) but yeah, um, yeah, there's there's things like that going on. Right now, UTLA, um, the the teachers union here are fighting for smaller class sizes, pretty much better working conditions here. I don't know if they're going on strike, but they've been holding like uh, protests and kind of like walkouts in front of their schools, uh, fighting for these things, pretty much struggling with the new superintendent that just came in after um, Austin Butner, who was backed by, uh, by a millionaire money. But now this guy from Florida um, is not really... Um, 
working with uh with work uh, with teachers on their demands or anything like that so now they've been uh protesting at the at the la unified building in downtown um this past tuesday um but maybe it, it could go into a protest i need to talk to my teacher friends about this but um yeah they've been holding a lot of actions on that has there been anything from the railroad workers out there um not that i not that i heard of uh but i have a homie that works in the railroads and um uh, he hasn't really like talked to me about it as much but um around the first time when the strike was about to happen um I, I, that's when i was asking him about it but um i guess they reached an agreement at first so the strike didn't happen and then now they're getting fucked over again um so i don't know yeah there's i saw there's a protest this tuesday here in minneapolis of rail, that the railroad workers are doing so i'm going to try and go out to that and see what that's about um so their struggle is continuing even though yeah the biden administration and congress Democratic-controlled Congress imposed a deal on them that didn't include their main demand and that basically took away their right to withhold their labor. But mm -hmm. how about here in the Twin Cities? The Kim, were you out at the teacher strike at all, taking pictures? Uh, yeah, I was uh, actually uh, at some of the bigger rallies. And then one of our members, when I was a part of the Climate Justice Committee, uh, B is a teacher and uh, a few of our members went out to support uh, B there, and it was really good. They definitely really loved us being there at, to support not only the teachers, but uh, B themselves. And it was really, I mean, it's fun going to these strikes because people are so hyped up and they've got a lot of solidarity. And so you get a lot of great action shots, too. And the speeches are great. And uh, I actually had have a friend in Columbus, Ohio, which the teachers went on strike. I don't, it wasn't too long, but um, they uh, also kind of had like the same similar experiences here is that teachers and aides and professional workers, janitors, they're all kind of kept separately. They do their separate things. They don't really intermix a lot, but the strike is a great thing because it brings everyone together and they're able to collaborate, collaborate more, understand uh, the different levels of the teachers they have there. The ESP workers were really getting screwed over. So uh, the teachers that like fully licensed teachers, I believe. So they were really good instrumental part to help boost up other teachers that need more support uh there too so i mean it's a great collaboration and now the uh it really hurts the bosses because now everyone is more united together which is actually a best thing to do when you want to win a strike and like be more powerful as as like a unit so uh my friend in columbus was really excited about how their strike turned out uh they definitely won so there's definitely lessons to be learned um and when more striker when more people workers go out on strike it really influences other workers to go out on strike too and also in the twin cities uh we've had uh starbucks uh once they formed a union in different stores one of them actually went out on strike so uh one of our union leaders here and i went down just to support them and uh they've gotten other people to come by and hang out and uh, some of the teachers that were on strike were also a part of being online with the 
Starbucks workers. And it turns out uh, the the boss is a a real jerk. Um, So we were able to get a little interview and little photo photo to to put in Fight Back News. So if it's something something small with a good picture with workers with signs, it's always good to have those pictures and a little bit of news article to send to Fight Back News and all these Twitter accounts and Facebook, because it really helps kind of spread the word. And it's really, it's really heartwarming that now there's more workers that are understanding their power. And really a lot of workers have nothing left to lose, mainly because of the effects from COVID, inflation, and worker working conditions. So it's a, it's, it's a good time to be a worker that needs to go out on strike because they've I believe most of them have gotten a lot of gains because they went out on strike. Yeah, I was able to go out also to a couple of times when Starbucks workers went on strike at a couple of the local stores here and get a few pictures. And yeah, it was definitely inspiring. And it was almost exactly a year ago that the first Starbucks store unionized. And it's just Mm -hmm. been in the last year that now there's thousands of Starbucks workers around the country that are unionized. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool how that can just change like that over almost overnight you know mm-hmm. in a whole like store industry because mm-hmm. that that's inspiring workers at other retail stores and coffee shops to want to unionize and it's just going to spread mm-hmm. and then yeah the teacher strike here in the twin cities in march i, I had the privilege to basically cut, be photographing that whole strike and so i was out there every day and on the picket lines and then at the unity rallies and stuff and mm-hmm. but the the teacher strike was so powerful here, I think, because you really see what, you know, we have these ideas in our head, oh, the the workers have the power to change society. You really see it, right, where teachers in the whole city can shut down education in the whole city. And then that not only affects all the schools, it affects, there's a ripple effect, right? Then parents, you know, who don't have, uh, have to make other arrangements or stay home from work to take care of kids. And there's that power and you just see a whole city start to, you know, it's not that the whole city came to a standstill, but like a big part of the city did and throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the whole city. And it was really, really powerful. And then the workers realizing that, oh, we actually have this power is really, it's amazing to watch, you know, mm-hmm. like I know, Kim, you talked about the, the last time you were on the Republic Windows and Doors struggle in Chicago, where those workers did the sit-in in the factory. And yeah, a lot of times you don't even realize the power you have until you use it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the other nice, uh, great thing about the teacher strike is that the students were also behind the teachers and they did an occupation at the main hall where, where they were having negotiations. So the students, under, I mean, they understand what the teachers are going through. So they were able to support them by doing a, a thorn in the administration side by occupying their space. So and I think. I, that definitely added a more pressure to get this settled and to get the teachers what they really deserve. Yeah, absolutely. That slogan that was used, I think, is so powerful that teachers teaching conditions are students learning conditions, you know, because mm-hmm. the administration and like the capitalists behind them try to divide and conquer, right? Set teachers and students against each other. And that slogan just brings it back together that students have an interest in teachers having smaller class sizes because that's their class sizes, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, like the healthcare workers, uh, the nurses went on strike for three days here in the Twin Cities. Um, I didn't get to go out and take photos, but I was really looking forward for them to going out on a longer strike 
that they were uh, that they voted on just a couple of days ago. But they got settled because they were supposed to be on strike for, I think, three weeks, which meant the holidays. And from what I hear, uh, the administration would replace them with traveling nurses. And apparently over the holidays, no one really wants to work because they want to spend time with their families. So that's just kind of another example that even though they were on strike for three days, I think that actually build the pressure for them to get a better contract because uh, when you go out even longer, it, it becomes even more difficult to sustain someone's business. And the administration figured that out. So, yeah, totally. So why don't we move on to a couple of more fun news quotes? Well, not necessarily fun, but might be fun <laughs> to talk about. Uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter. What, is, what do you think that means for, I guess, for people on the left, for photographers, uh, you know, progressive people who wants to take a take the first whack at <laughs> Elon Musk? Mm, I, nah, I could foresee like censorship on our side. Uh, definitely. From what I've been hearing, it's just a matter of people reporting like leftist accounts and for them to get uh, banned and stuff like that. So that's pretty alarming. Uh, definitely with the whole thing where there's more hate speech going on under his ownership of Twitter, uh, where people feel more bold to say the N-word and things like that online. So, And then there's a whole thing of them of Elon firing a lot of its staff, its IT, things like that, which, yeah, I feel like it's like a worker's violation there, which is like CEO just firing people just without, it, without any cause. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, there was a whole thing where Twitter was falling apart because he fired like very essential people that uh, makes Twitter function. Yeah. Where they put the Twitter logo on onto some like, you know, like uh, in funerals, they put people on in clouds and stuff. They put the Twitter logo on that, too. So that, I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. People just have jokes for everything. It, 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 that's what keeps me going. But <laughs> other than that, yeah, I don't think I don't think. um it's 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 gonna be like Twitter has always been changing, but in, in this case, it's just a matter of uh, us um being able to engage in a way. Maybe we'll get shadow banned or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I don't I don't think it's gonna get any better under Elon. Yeah, I feel like some of his first actions. It's like reinstating Trump's account, although Trump hasn't used it yet. But it's back. You know, if he wants to, mm. he can use it. He brought Kanye, activated Kanye West, who immediately started posting about liking Hitler and not and Nazis. Uh, and so then he got rebanned. Yeah, there's just this outpouring of people on the right kind of going crazy on Twitter. And I agree. I, I saw the thing you're talking about where these far right, like weird chat rooms were circulating this list of accounts of people on the left to report and try and get banned and stuff. And it seems like that's the way things are going. It's like it's this bizarro world where you have all these people on the right screaming bloody murder about like oh we're not treated equally on twitter but mm. in fact they're given more space to exist there than people on the left so what's the basic lesson elon musk sucks it's <laughs> it, before it was owned by a bunch of millionaires now it's owned by one billionaire they they but they all suck and yeah. it should be a public mm -hmm. utility you know like the phone like well i guess they privatized the phones and stuff too but it should be you know it's like should not be under the control of one weird ass billionaire. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, there's some famous people who died in 2022. They say, you know, you should not speak ill of the dead, but, um, you know, we, but we can, 
but we can if you want to about some of them. Um, Queen Elizabeth II, anyone want to say anything about that? Were, were people in the former colonies of England uh, sad when Queen Elizabeth II died? Or people in Ireland? Nobody was sad because she died. <laughs> well, at least in my in my group of friends, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, thank God, kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird when people are sad about people like that, like, like Queen Elizabeth, like, why are you sad? Like, she didn't do nothing for you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it, People have some type of weird attachment to people who have, like, this royalty or whatever. I don't know. I mean, even the, the whole American Revolution, as mixed as that was in terms of slavery and genocide being mm -hmm. part of that, too, like, wasn't that the whole idea to get rid of, like, kings and queens, you know? But people still, you're right, have this bizarre fascination with it. Yeah. And then... I like the whole thing where they were protesting out there in England and then they got arrested or things like that. And it's kind of weird that they kind of push this narrative on places like North Korea where you can't protest kind of thing or else you get like imprisoned type of thing. But this, the same thing is happening in England, but it's not the same type of like outrage. <laughs> and then the whole thing about where it's just people like, waiting in lines for days to kind of like see i guess the casket or something like that and it's just like hmm, i don't know people <laughs> I, unless it's like not their country um people just like are the first ones to say like oh um all these people are brainwashed kind of thing but they're doing the same exact thing here and it's just like yeah and then they got they got they still got kings and queens and things like grow up yeah <laughs> So what about uh, Mikhail Gorbachev died this year? He was the last leader of the Soviet Union and was the one who actually dissolved the Soviet Union, led to its downfall uh, so that they could have Pizza Hut and he could be in Pizza Hut commercials. Honestly, I thought he was dead. <laughs> you thought he was already gone? Yeah. I, I know some of these gone. people, you don't even realize they're still alive and they're just chilling, you know, doing whatever. But these people who, yeah. He, he was still alive. Did he still live in Russia even? I don't even know. Or did he just yes. like, he was like, peace out, and then he came to the yes. West or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's see who else. Uh, Olivia Newton-John died this year as well. Any comments? You know, sad because she's an endearing uh, actress and a pop icon and activist. So when activists die, it's... Oh, she, was she an activist too? I didn't know that. Well, I had to look her up. Um, cause I, um, and I think it was around, I want to say, well, the article is like calling her an incredible activist. Um, there was talk about her being, uh, for like gay rights, but oh, that's what happens when I'll do my research before a podcast. Um, mm -hmm. uh, well, depending on what type of who, like actors may get a little bit more sympathy for me, um. I know this is really off topic, but when Prince passed away many years ago, I mean, he's a uh, Minnesota icon and a great musician and forward thinking. But then I found out he donated money to the uh, Trayvon, Trayvon Martin's family. And so and all the activism work around that, the Black Lives Matter issue. So when I found that out, I was really sad that he passed away. But he it was a many years ago. So when uh, actors are actually really good activists, it is, it, you know, it's a loss uh, when any activists 
on the correct side passes away. So. Yeah, you know, some other prominent actors and musicians that passed away this year, uh, Sidney Poitier, um, <laughs> Jean-Luc Godard, Angela Lansbury, Jerry Lee Lewis, some of them have played a huge role in, um, you know, whether it's the civil rights movement or in just breaking down barriers for Black and uh, other oppressed peoples in their fields. Yeah, so I agree. I think that's important to, to note and, and be supportive of. Mm-hmm. Well, that, uh, just because he's one of my favorite actors uh, at Asner, I looked him up. He died a year ago. Um, but he was also instrumental, uh, being supportive of, uh, like CISPIS and, uh, the revolutionary forces down in South Central America. So I've heard stories. So I remember, yeah, he would often go to protest CISPIS, the committee in solidarity with the people of El Salvador, which was supportive of the revolutionary movement Mm -hmm. during the war and, um, the civil war in El Salvador. Yeah. He often would go to their protests and, would sign, you know, write letters, fundraising letters for them and stuff. So there are some good actors out there for sure. Yeah. So other than what we've already talked about, are there any other memorable protests you can think of that you took photos at in the last year? What are some of the most powerful protests you remember being at this year? You want to go, Luis? Mm, I'm trying to brain brain (laughs) right now. So I'll let you go first, Kim. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> well, mainly, um, uh, I go to weekend protests. Um, so that was a lot of anti-war protests going on. Um, and with Ukraine and what else? It seems like it was a, a slower year than past years for me being out at protests. Um, but I know there's a, a lot of uh, still like Black Lives Matters protests going on during during the week um which is still pretty it's still pretty active um i'm like when ha- so there there's a couple of like notable police killings was that within this year or was it <clears throat> kind of like last year <clears throat> it kind of all running together <laughs> yeah it was it was january this year that um the police here in the twin cities killed um, amir Locke, and then there was tecla sunberg later this year and then, and then Winston, the same, right? Winston Smith may have been the year before, 2021, okay. maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the St. The Paul police just killed a guy like within the last few days. And they're still demanding that the footage come out on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know in L.A. this year, there was a big campaign that you've taken a lot of photos at, Luis, about the sheriff, uh, boot the bandito, you mm-hmm. know, like, get rid of the, the sheriff and trying to make steps towards community control of the police. Right. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it was mostly um, a lot of angelversary events with uh, families that were impacted by um, the deputy uh, killings. Um, a lot of them was also a result of like the deputy gangs that we have here, like Los Banditos. That's why we wanted Villanueva out because we believe that he's one of them too. And he doesn't do anything about uh, the deputy gangs that are just, it's just growing within the department. Um, and so, he lost the election, right? Yes, he did. He lost five, I think, God, because um, a lot of people were really all up on him. Like, oh, um, he's going to do something about the the homeless problem kind of thing. And honestly, like, he doesn't, re- he, he takes credit for things that he never did. And 
all all the um sheriffs do is harass um people who are houseless out here they don't they don't really do anything substantial to to fix um to fix this problem um they can't what what is the police going to do like push them out um somewhere else that's all they do <laughs> so um it, it's kind of ridiculous that people think that they are the solution to to fix this problem and all we're going to do is like throw money at them because that's all that they asked for like oh we want a couple million dollars and then um the vn web i had a vendetta against like the board of supervisors because they're kind of siding with us on uh pushing accountability on the department and vn web didn't like that he was pushing his own candidates uh to run against like uh one of the board members hilda solis because she's one of the people that um, was supporting like a charter amendment to for the board of supervisors to have the power to impeach the sheriff, uh, which that passed as well uh, this past midterm election. So um, the, these are little victories that uh, we have going on here locally. But even with this new sheriff that we have, he still has like a like a pass of his own uh, under the leadership of in the Long Beach Police Department that we still have to check him on uh, because when he was chief, there was a guy named Cesar Rodriguez who got pushed in front of a train by Long Beach um, police and he didn't do anything about it. Um, and the people, the cops that were involved with that uh, got promoted. So um, we don't we can't even guarantee he's going to be any better than being Weva. So mm -hmm. we're definitely going to um, check him on that in the upcoming years because being Weber started off as a, Oh, I want to change the department, the culture, blah, blah, blah. But he ended up being like this monster that even more unimaginable than we, we would have thought because all oh, he's, because even though like we attack, well, yeah, we definitely want to attack him for things like that. But he, he succumbs to this all oh, they're, they're attacking me because I'm Latino kind of thing. I was like, shut up, kind of thing. <laughs> um, even though their deputies are killing Chicanos out here, execution style, like um, shooting them in the back kind of things. Mm -hmm. So it, like things like that don't even matter um, to me, at least if you're doing like, if you're behind this, these terrible executions um, because of your deputies, then you have no right to use that against us, especially if you're killing like black and Chicanos out here, but this is a long struggle and I feel like it's, it's only going to get it, it better, but um, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> oh, just talking about the protests around police brutality over the last year out there, you know, so it sounds like it's good that the sheriff was defeated, but the struggle continues, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and also the victory of a little bit more accountability passing in that referendum that's pretty significant it seems like oh yeah definitely because there, there was like absolutely nothing to, to hold the sheriff accountable for uh some of the stuff that he does like he avoids subpoenas kind of thing he gets deputies to not um testify on the existence of deputy gangs and they have like a like a code for to pretty much deny their existence even though he said like they do exist, but they're not gangs or cliques kind of thing. And mm -hmm. it goes out of their way. He goes out of his way to pretty much dox families who are trying to expose Villanueva and trying to seek justice for their family members. 
So the Rio was legitimately a danger to to us and to these families and anyone that opposes him because um what was it a couple of months ago uh the sheriff raided one of the border supervisors like uh, in the morning like very, like I heard it was like very dramatic like helicopters hovering over her house uh because she was one of the ones that was was an opponent against him so he's pretty much sending I think he calls it like the like a like a section of the department like to investigate corruption but nah these people are legitimately like the, the secret police um that he going he, after he, going yeah, after his political enemies exactly pretty much um uh it, yeah investigating investigating corruption within the the system when in fact he's the corrupt one himself but mm-hmm. yeah the fact that sheriffs even have that is scary because um they may use it even more and more uh, deliberately violently too yeah absolutely why don't we move on to talking about some memorable photography milestones for for everyone in 2022 new accomplishments you know kim do you want to talk about you set up a table and sold some of your prints recently yes um Brad had a great idea that him and I would share a table at a holiday <laughs> uh, craft and bake sale. And uh, we uh, invited a lot of the activist groups uh, to our famous 4200 um, Community Center, uh, where it houses uh, some activists, uh, uh, activist social justice groups. And it actually, we had one like six years ago, and it was really successful. So um Thanks, Brad, for bringing that idea back. Uh, but we would gather our photographs and we would sell them and then would donate our proceeds to wherever we would like because we wouldn't be associated. Well, my idea was like we would just kind of do it as a separate thing. Um, but Brad was uh, gracious enough not to get things done when he wanted to. So I was able to have a full table um, and I didn't do protest pictures mainly because I was uh not that I'm always picking on Brad but I was uh, I figured Brad would have more of those protest pictures and uh much better kind of not quality but just kind of composition and so I went through my photos and did more nature scenes um more a lot of nature and some kind of interesting composition or angles so I was able to, uh, I had a bunch of different sizes, collages and stuff. Very inexpensive craft thing to do. But I was really, uh, uh, I was impressed on how I was able to kind of gather things together and uh, looking really good. And people really wanted to buy it. So I was really happy uh, that people came over and bought some things. Uh, but it's always a challenge to figure out like what people would like to buy um, and not be too outrageously expensive, but something useful. So uh, something to note, magnets went well and like note cards. So magnets were really, uh, really great to have. Um, like and mag- I did- magnets with your photos on them? Like yeah. refrigerator magnets kind of? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was a little worried about that, but um, that seemed to go a lot quicker. Uh, note cards are always like handy for people to, you know, use um and then i had like eight by tens five by sevens some were fl- frames some were not some were in collages like i i like flowers that are close or like there were some mushrooms uh so mushrooms seemed to be popular also that's what i bought 
<laughs> and I really had a cool picture of the moon. My friend and I went to go uh, northern lights uh, hunting. And at one point we were in a place where it was dark. The moon was lower to the horizon and big and very bright. So my camera lens and the way I was able to take the photo, it turned out to be one of the better pictures of the moon I've ever taken. Uh, so in a, it reminded me of the old school kind of book where you had that little half moon kind of hanging in darkness. So, uh, so I really like interesting things and, um, some of the there's a picture of a lake with uh algae plant life and the clouds were reflecting and it really looked like a monet painting when i finally blew it up so uh so i was really impressed and it also uh helped me kind of get like a, another shot in the arm to kind of go forward on doing some more types of photography or like focusing it more so now that i've kind of got into the groove thanks brad um so hopefully to do more and then actually look through my other kind of protest pictures from like even years ago to get like more interesting things that people would want to buy. And Luis, I got a print from you earlier this year. Um, <laughs> the one that I got, it's like a mural, I, I assume in Boyle Heights or East LA, um, mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah. and then like a beautiful like sunset sky in the background. Like, have you been doing more prints and stuff like that too? As of lately, no, I just been hanging them around my house because I was like, <laughs> all right, if people are not going to buy them, I'll just put them around my house. But uh, <laughs> this this past Chicano moratorium that we had this past August, um, I decided to like fundraise for the event by selling some of my photos. And yeah, it was pretty good. I managed to raise like, I don't know, like $200 or something like that for my photos. So That's the fact that people... Uh, bought them was pretty good um i like that people uh were interested that much so it it was cool now i'm just like wondering what other yeah like like your mm -hmm. thing like what what other photos that people would like to buy because sometimes people look through a list of photos i have on my instagram is like oh i want this it's like oh okay so i took like not the so one like, you would have thought people would want necessarily yeah uh, people like a lot of my street photography especially um graffiti art kind of thing because i guess uh to them it resembles like the aesthetics of LA. like there's graffiti mm -hmm. all over the place especially during the pandemic when everything was on lockdown but still we have like uh the taggers out just like <laughs> going everywhere like in the most like random places like high up in buildings like how do you get up there but um it, things like that intrigue me and sometimes they're very good some of them suck but um <laughs> but um i still take photos of it because people like the city eventually paints over it and then it's gone and then new ones come out and like something different always pops up so uh that's what i, I like taking photos of that and especially of murals out here in east l.a boyle heights because as time goes on they're disappearing. There aren't as many mm -hmm. as there were before, especially the old ones. Like sometimes they get tagged over, um, unfortunately, because that's that's kind of like our history here. And then eventually, they don't they don't get repainted. They get uh, painted over or something like that. So um, it's important to like document things like that. And um, people like that in in the print. So I was like, all right, cool. Usually, I usually um, print like um protest photos like people like i think one that i sold 
in the Chicago Mortar was like a bunch of um bunch of dudes during one of our protests during the uprisings in front of the sheriff station uh holding like fuck the sheriffs kind of thing a lot of people like that like I saw the like a eight by twelve version of that and also like a like a little one so I'll probably reprint that um there's other ones that I got around laying in the house but um it's still a working pro I don't put it as out that much I don't know why but I need I do need to like push it out like oh I got these prints kind of thing but that's something in the future too yeah I always have mixed feelings about that too like I don't want to be like I'm trying to sell people things all the time but yeah <laughs> people, people are interested you know so it's always that balance mm -hmm. uh, I did want to ask you Luis also about your street photography because just watching what you've been posting it feels to me like you've like really upped your game in street photography over the last year I don't know what do you think do you feel like you're just doing it more or like yeah um I do do it more but I don't post a, a lot of it I don't know why well this past year is mostly like oh it's just like for myself kind of thing but <clears throat> every so often I do um take photos and then post the ones that I think that are like all right this is a pretty cool for online kind of thing but I think it has a lot more to do because I got a got myself a smaller camera and I'm able to like take photos of more things a little closer because with like a big mirrorless camera people are like what the hell are you doing with that kind of thing <laughs> so um what camera yeah, did you get a this one actually uh the Fuji X100V it's like pretty small and I could just like detach like this adapter and it becomes this small <laughs> thing. So I've heard so many good things about Fuji's. What do you think so far? I love the colors of it with the Fuji's. It has like film simulations. And last year I took up like film photography and I really like film because of like how it looks and it gives like that type of uh, nostalgic feeling to it, which I always loved. And I try to emulate with my digital photography and I feel like with film, I was able to like, like edit my photos in a way that is very unrealistic kind of thing. So I learned a lot from film photography and kind of a taking photos that in my mind matter kind of thing. Instead of like aimlessly like just taking photos of everything kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I, I learned a lot with uh, film photography. Unfortunately, it's so expensive to yeah. <laughs> buy now and develop so uh with that fit that fuji camera it, it, it does a job i mean it looks digital but it still has that film aesthetic because you could create your own um film simulations that exist that existed and yeah it's, pre it's pretty cool too bad it's so expensive now i got it at a perfect time mm, yeah i i, I want to like rent one or borrow one from someone just to try it because you know everyone who uses them it's just like a, a religion you know it's like people just are so devoted to it uh -huh. <laughs> to fujis but uh kim you got some new gear this year too right like new lens uh, or lenses yeah it was last couple years couple oh, okay. years yep okay um it was when i was uh watching all the independent photographers here in the twin cities so uh felt like had to up up, upgrade my stuff but yeah as soon as I buy something then I start seeing like other cameras that are like better and I'm like mm -hmm. there's just no way to really I mean it's hard to um upgrade because it's so expensive yeah it really is I had a friend who messaged me asking about you know she wanted to get a camera as a gift for somebody and 
asking what she could get for four hundred dollars that would be good. And I was just like, um, yeah, I don't think you're going to get much, unfortunately, unless you get really lucky with something used that someone's just trying to get rid of. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's an expensive hobby. So anything that uh, you want to talk about with music? I know we all like uh, music and sometimes take <laughs> go to concerts or take pictures at concerts. Did, did either of you take photos at any shows this year or anything notable? We're still in the pandemic. It's going to concerts. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't, well, haven't been to concerts in a long time. I did a lot more photography in my college years uh, with the punk scene, which I know Brad, you put together a, a calendar of the punk scene in DC. So uh, that's always fun. I mean, it's like it's action. So I haven't I haven't been to a concert and I don't know. Well, nowadays they don't allow you to bring cameras. So unless it's like one of those uh, underground kind of places or, you know, not commercial establishments. So it would be fun to get back into that. That was my other kind of like lifelong dream is to be a rock and roll photographer. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the Twin Cities, there's the whole, there's First Avenue, which is the famous club that, you know, from the Prince movies and stuff. And, but they have a whole network of clubs that they own now. And so like, you know, jokingly called the First Avenue Industrial Complex, but all all, all of their places, all of their places are pretty restrictive with cameras, like Mm -hmm. you said, but a couple of them, I've been able to get cameras in and take pictures and but then, yeah, more DIY shows, it's pretty much anything goes. Like, I even went to a show in a garage like a month or two ago, that was just someone's garage, and mm-hmm. it was an amazing show, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of us there taking pictures. But yeah, it's more those ones where you can bring your camera and use a flash, you know? Because even at the First Avenue ones, yeah, they if you they do you let you take pictures. If you start using a flash, they're going to start freaking out sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is pride they actually opened stages and uh the famous tina and the b-sides played this past june so uh i took the liberty to take some photos so i got some really good close-up photos of tina and her facial expressions which i will have to post soon or maybe wait 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 another year (laughs) and louise we talked before when you were on about some shows you went to during covid or like you know when there still weren't allowing shows, but people just did them anyways, like outdoors. Like, have there been more yeah. like that, or what's going on in LA now? Have you been going to shows at all? Uh, not as much, but they they definitely have been going on. Um, those bands that threw like shows in the riverbeds out here or under bridges, uh, started began. I think gotten big from last year to now, where they started holding like exhibitions kind of thing and like warehouses type of thing where it's like other big names in the tagging scene because like how we mentioned before like the punk scene now is just a mixture of like the party scene the tagging scene and a a bunch of things mixed into one where it's just like a completely group uh, different groups of people uh, mixing a bunch and now it's just uh this own unique kind of thing where it's not just exclusively punk it is punk music but it has more aesthetics uh, tied into it as well so uh now it's just um this big old thing where people just um just throw um shows in like the most random places 
Um, I think last year I went to a show out in the mountains. Um, uh, people just brought generators there. And then I found out that people legitimately live there, posted tents up and stuff like that. And they've just been throwing like punk shows there. Eventually they got kicked out, but um, <laughs> that's been going on throughout the pandemic. But um, yeah, there hasn't, I haven't really gone to any of those as as recently but uh one of the last big ones with the same band like dead city like in la we had the six street bridge has been closed for like like since 2016 and they barely reopened in this past summer and before they even had the ceremony they had a show underneath that bridge um it was a big thing uh like a good amount of bands played and then eventually it turned into a police riot uh LED <laughs> came in. um with the riot gear shooting at people with uh wow uh, with uh gas canisters tear gas kind of thing so that wasn't uh, just back in the black flag days that still happens police riots <laughs> and shows with the lapd damn yeah like i think that band is trying to like bring that in, that 80s energy back into today which is cool but but yeah like with the COVID thing it's just like you still have to be cautious kind of thing but I guess now it's just like, well, everyone got vaccinated or whatever. So I don't even think people wear masks nowadays, even though cases are rising here again. But um, yeah, but yeah, um, they're still going on. But sometimes I find out pretty late. Sometimes they charge. So I'm just like, I'm not paying for this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I try to go whenever I try. But after, sometimes after work, I'm way too tired. So I'm just like, mm. yeah. <laughs> I've gone to quite a few shows this year, actually, with to take pictures. But uh, in terms of people wearing masks, like I would say the vast majority don't anymore. And a few people do. And yeah, it's people, you know, yelling and screaming and I'm sure releasing all kinds of particles into the air. And it's just <laughs> got to be a COVID incubator, you know, but um, that's just what's happening now, you know, for better or worse. Well, for worse, but yeah, so. Why don't we start rounding things out here? And uh, do you want to end with maybe each of you? Well, how about, about before we end with that last question, Brad? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so uh, it's great that you started this podcast, and so now you've been inter you interviewed a lot of people. However, do we know anything about you? And uh, so, why don't you start? by telling us a little about you, where, who you are, where you're from, what do you live, and uh, what got you into photography? Oh, man, you've you've turned the tables. <laughs> um, that really just reminded me of that scene from Office Space, not Office Space, The, <laughs> the Office, where um, Dwayne, uh, Dwight, Dwayne, Dwight is interviewing Jim about there's like drug use in the office or whatever. And, and then Jim like turns the tables on it. He's like, "How do you know this? You might you're the one on pot." Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Watching too many old episodes of The Office. So, who am I and how I got in photography? Yeah. So okay, I can be interviewed, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I guess I didn't say at the beginning when we did introductions because it's a roundtable, so I should have. But uh, yeah, I live here in the Twin Cities as well, along with Kim. And I do a lot of activism around immigrant rights. And uh, for 20 years up until last year uh, in the labor movement as well, and I was active in my union until I left that job to do photography full-time. And 
I started doing photography in high school when it was in the film days. So there was a dark room in our school and I took a class and learned how to do stuff in the dark room and the most very basics about taking photos, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. Uh, I took one class in college where there was a better dark room and a better teacher. And so I learned a little more, but still really had no idea what the hell I was doing. And that's when I was taking pictures at punk shows in DC, like Kimmy referenced. Uh, I did just create, I created three different calendars this year that people can order online. One of photos from the DC punk scene in the eighties and nineties, which is sort of like a precursor to hopefully a book or, you know, photo zine or book that I want to put together. I just need to make the time with some of those photos and some interviews with some people. So I, yeah, learned. So I have those photos and uh, from back then that I was taking at shows when I really didn't know what I was doing, but I got some decent ones and some not decent ones, but uh, and then uh, I sort of stopped taking pictures for a while and started again more when my daughter was born in 2003. That was when uh, I, we got as a gift uh, our first digital camera. And so started with one of those little, you know, point and shoot digital cameras. And that was when I just stopped using film at that point. And my film cameras just sort of sat in the basement languishing. Um, <laughs> when I got back into photography in a real way a few years ago, I dug those cameras out and I was like, oh, I hope I can use them. The cameras are fine, but the lenses were totally filled with fungus and shit, you know, because our mm. basement gets real humid and so that was a bummer, but I have done film photography a little bit more since then, just sort of re getting back into it. And and I love film too, like Luis, like you were saying, um, I love taking photos of film, but it is so expensive. You just gotta, I just hate it when I have to, cause I don't have a dark room now. I have to bring them in to get them developed at, you know, somewhere that's like a photography store that's more expensive. And yeah. So I started back with digital. I started with photography around 2003 and then would bring my camera to protests and take pictures, but really sort of stopped thinking about composition or like light or anything. It was just doing snapshots really of protests for most of those years. And then as cameras and phones got better, I started just using that mostly and didn't even bring a little point and shoot. And then it was like four, four or so years ago when I started riding my bike a lot and I would just be riding and see beautiful sunsets and see all the stuff around the, the twin cities and it's like i should bring a camera with me you know and um my wife had bought a camera that was a, a a sony but it was like the lowest one on the sony chain that was the most affordable but so i started using that and and then yeah i just got inspired by other people who had been taking photos at protests during the um you know the the occupation of the fourth precinct here after jamar clark was killed and then in all the police brutality protests since then. And I started looking at those photos, you know, by people like uh, Chris June and uh, Typhi, who I had on the one of the episodes, third, fourth or fifth or something. I just saw them posting their photos on Facebook. And I was like, man, their photos are so much better than anything I'm taking. What am I doing wrong? You know? And that was when I started to really take seriously, okay, I need to sort of relearn the stuff that I'd learned a tiny bit before, you know, around composition and light and the exposure triangle and all this stuff and actually really learned it. And I guess the rest is history. Well, good. Um, uh -oh, so more questions. How about, um, I know you were definitely uh, out there. Well, you were able to retire. So that really helps time-wise getting out there more. 
Uh, but I know you did a big um, trip, uh, MIRAC, uh, the Immigrants' Rights Action Coalition, uh, did a delegation to the border border wall. Um, how was that being a photographer down there? Yeah, so in 2019, early in 2019, in April, immigrant rights activists from here in Minnesota, as well as Milwaukee and Chicago, went down to Tucson, Arizona, and basically did a delegation to the U.S.-Mexico border, both on the U.S. side and the Mexico side. And that was really, it was a really, really powerful trip, especially for those of us, you know, who are further north and the border just seems so far away and we don't see the reality of it. It was just very, very powerful. And the group that hosted us in Tucson, you know, does organizing in like the Chicano community there. And so it was really rooted in the struggles of the Chicano community in Tucson and then further down towards the border um, and understanding, you know, the immigration struggle and its connections to the Chicano liberation struggle within the U.S. and indigenous liberation struggles um, on both sides of the border, et cetera. So, of course, I brought my camera on that trip and brought it with me everywhere. And I, I did take a lot of pictures. I should go through those. You know, maybe I could put something together from that a calendar or, you know, some, a zine or something. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was very powerful. And, you know, I tried to influence the, the, where we went because of like when would be good for photography. <laughs> um, you know, that wasn't the main reason that we were there, but like there was one night that we, we didn't have anything scheduled. I was like, Oh, can we go up on one of the, the mountains here, right uh, on the edge of Tucson and, you know, see the sunset and all that. And so we did that and it was really, really beautiful. And I think everyone enjoyed it. And it was a very intense trip. So that gave us like a few minutes of sort of something more serene and, you know, beautiful. Um, and I tried to get up real early in the morning at sunrise to take pictures and stuff too. Mm -hmm. And I got pictures at the border, uh, you know, of just the disgusting wall with the barbed wire and all that stuff. And um, then on the Mexico side, it's a lot more beautiful because as an act of resistance, people on the Mexico side have painted murals and, you know, put up graffiti and uh, little memorials to people who have been killed, you know, trying to cross the border and stuff. And so it's very powerful on the Mexico side. And then we met with, we got to go to a shelter for uh, women and children who were from mostly Central America or Southern Mexico, like Oaxaca and Chiapas, that were uh, trying to request asylum in the U.S., but because of Trump administration policies, they were denied that and they were just stuck at the border. And we got to talk with them and it was and just hear their stories. And that was just incredibly powerful. And we were at, you know, we, we were asked to not take pictures of them because, you know, a lot of them were fleeing from whether it's gangs or whether it was like the right wing government in Honduras or whatever, fleeing from repression. So they didn't it wouldn't have been good for their identities to uh, where their location was to be known. But mm -hmm. um, we did get some pictures there too at the shelter. And yeah, it was very powerful. We're actually going to do another border delegation coming up this spring. And this one we're going to be, um, and maybe I would guess Louise knows a little more about this, but we're going to be going to Los Angeles and starting there. And then from there going down to the border of uh, San Diego and Tijuana so hopefully we'll get some more pictures there too. Yeah, for sure. I plan to go too. Oh, awesome. Well, that'll be a well-documented trip. Right. <laughs> I saw you took pictures too when y'all went to a conference in Tijuana too, right? This year. 
Yeah, um, this past June in TJ at the University of Tijuana, um, they had the Workers' Summit of the Americas, which was like a counter thing of the Summit of the Americas that uh, was held here in LA with Biden and all that. The reason why that this the Workers' Summit happened because um, the people from, uh, because uh, Nicaragua, uh, Cuba, and Venezuela were not, invited to the, the the summit so and on top of that uh people from those countries uh were denied entry to uh this the to the u.s so i guess the the like the meeting point was in tj and i met a lot of incredible people like labor uh workers and stuff from each of those countries um and it was definitely like denouncing like the sanctions on that the u.s imposes on all the all these countries um Uh, like releasing like political prisoners like Alex Saab. Let's see. Yeah. So the, the conference was like, an, it was like a three day thing, I think, from what I remember. And then eventually we held like a, like a, like a protest at a friendship park right there. Um, where it's like a couple of us speakers and or, like left organizations from Mexico too. I forgot their names, but it was like a good presence of them uh, there. But yeah, it was definitely like an, an extraordinary um, experience, like meeting people from around the world, like I met somebody from Haiti, like I did a video of him, but I was never able to find somebody that was able to translate what he was saying. I think he was speaking like, what was it, the uh, Creole or something like that, um, because he wanted to like broadcast it in the news over the, out in there in Haiti. Um, so I did a recording for him, uh, sent it to him. He loved it. So yeah, definitely like. It's meaning like uh, all kinds of people. I did a little bit of uh, street photography around there, but it was just like from where I was walking around kind of thing. So I wasn't able to like um, see everything, but it, it's definitely like like a site out there. But yeah. I forgot to even bring up, I can't believe it too, that you went to Nicaragua this year and did a delegation yeah. there and did, brought your camera. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because you got some amazing photos there. Yeah, that in itself is an experience because wow like right off the bat everything is just covered in nature so everything was beautiful there um uh the delegation was to pretty much to learn like the like how Nicaragua is trying to be a more uh food sovereignty kind of thing um pretty much growing their own food uh eliminating uh, chemical uses in their crops kind of thing and pretty much learning about the like the Sandinista government like their role and helping like um the campesinos kind of thing and I learned like uh how the majority of Nicaraguans own their own land so they could grow their own food and pretty much everyone has like their own little businesses where they sell like uh food and they have like their own like tiendas kind of thing like their, their own stores and they're constantly like uh building their infrastructure in Nicaragua where things are constantly changing uh for the better like a lot of it was just like uh, Uh, they didn't really have like roads yet um now they're constantly building that and whatever was destroyed in the earthquake and they had a, i guess they had an earthquake during the 80s or something and there was like i, I guess a, a pier that was completely uh dismantled because of that um completely built like really nice it was like amazing to see like especially during the night like there was like a lighthouse um yeah, that was in managua and then they took us to like um I guess where some the Samosa family used to live where or where 
he got the Sandinistas executed kind of thing, like in a mountain. Um, now that's being used, I guess, like a like a tourist attraction type of thing. Yeah, it was just overall amazing. And then uh, we got taken out in the mountains uh, where it was like the, the schools where they teach like students from around like Latin America. So I met like students from like El Salvador, from uh, the Dominican Republic, um, learning about like this agri agricultural, agricultural, like biodiversity type of thing, like program to kind of like, I guess, spread it like wherever they're living too. But yeah, overall, it was like an amazing experience. Um, I can't wait to go back, actually, um, in, in Mexico, too, uh, for the, for this type of, per like, with the border delegation. And yeah, um, I, I, I do want to do more, like, street photography of, like, different countries. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to go to Venezuela, but uh, my work didn't allow me, like, the, those vacation times, unfortunately. But hopefully, again, in the future. Uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, definitely. Kim, did you have more questions? Um, just wait one more. Uh, during the uprising when George Floyd was murdered, I know you were out there a lot. Um, so what was that experience like as a photographer, as an activist, as a person who lives in the Twin Cities? Yeah, it was one of the most impactful experiences of my life, I would say. You know, one of the best experiences of my life, for sure. Just being out there you know, most of those nights when, and being out there the night, especially when the third precinct of the Minneapolis Police Department was burned down, you know, that's just not something you see every day, you know? <laughs> so seeing that was like, okay, this is, this is incredible. And I did have my camera out there. I got pictures that night and a lot of those are not going to see the light of day just because of, it has identities of people who were at something that the police declared an illegal gathering and, you know, where the police and the FBI were going through every image online they could find and every video to try to find, identify people to bring charges against them. But I did share, like you referred to before, some that uh, I blurred faces and identifying marks and stuff. Yeah, that was really, really incredible, you know, because it was, you could just feel it. It was the working class, mostly BIPOC folks, but a lot of white folks out there too. You know, I mean, Minneapolis and St. Paul are still majority white, you know. You had a very multiracial mix in the streets, but definitely led by Black youth responding to the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, just night after night at the precinct. And and then uh, after the third precinct was burned down, people sort of migrated further down west down Lake Street towards the fifth precinct, um, which is at Nicollet and 31st. And I was out there when it, it got very close, man. It was really, really close. Like people were getting closer and closer to try to, you know, uh, I would assume do something similar to what happened to the third precinct. But by that time, the police had sort of regrouped and they were, uh, the National Guard was called in that day and they were able to push protesters back. But, you know, I was there with my camera and, you know, as people were, you know, putting huge like uh, you know, from construction sites, like massive objects in the street to sort of push forward behind these barricades. And it was wild, you know, it was very, very intense. And that's just the few nights when things were the most intense. But there was also sort of a burst of energy that burst out from that in a million different directions for the next year to even the present, really. But for the next year, there were there was at least one protest almost every day and sometimes multiple things going on. And, you know, the 
groups like Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar were very focused in their protests against like the county attorney trying to, you know, focus in on him to bring charges to uh, convict the killer cops. And then there were other groups that popped up out of nowhere that were like, who the heck is that? You know, and most of those have disappeared, you know, but you just, it was just this explosion of energy that was united in understanding there needed to be radical change and that, um, you know, the system can't be allowed to keep operating like it, like it has been. Yeah. Documenting all of that is definitely one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And uh, at some point I'll do something with the, with those photos, hopefully. Yep. Great street art during that time. And just like a week later, I watched people wash a lot of that stuff off of buildings. Uh, but there was a woman who actually saved some of the billboards that were uh, used to or uh, protect the windows when they got uh, taken down a lot of them were saved so that's good because that's just like an historical event on top of it yeah so. and I made a point to go around and try and get pictures of as many of those mm -hmm. as possible while they were up so I did get pictures of that but yeah you're right that was really important really good that somebody did that and mm -hmm. made that a, a priority to save the, all of that because that's the, the evidence of the uprising you know and how broad it was you know it wasn't just you know there's this these kind of narratives that have popped up from liberals, you know, mainstream liberals and, and, you know, where they try and blame everything on, you know, right-wing outside agitators or like, mm -hmm. you know, the umbrella man who broke the windows at the auto, auto max or whatever, that auto store. Auto zone. Auto auto zone. zone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sure. There was a few weirdos that were out there, but it was over. Mm -hmm. I was there most night. It was overwhelmingly like young people from the neighborhood and from around mm -hmm. the twin cities overwhelmingly. And that's, that's what it was. It was an uprising of the most oppressed young people in the twin cities. And it, you know, not that there weren't contradictions there were, you mm -hmm. know, you know, cause a lot of stuff was burned up and down Lake street and those are mostly immigrant owned small businesses. And, you know, so there was contradictions with that to work through and, that still need working through, but uh, similar to the, I remember like when the Rodney King uprising happened in LA, you had that kind of dynamic with Korean owned businesses and black communities, you know, getting targeted and stuff. And that's mm -hmm. just always going to be, you know, capitalism creates these divisions, right. And it shows up at those times, but it, it was, it was powerful. You know, at the same time you had some forces like in the Latino community that were, for example, denouncing what was happening because some, you know, immigrant owned businesses were, were burned. You also had like at George Floyd Square, there was like a Mexican owned taco restaurant that was there like around the clock giving out free food. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, there, were, there were people where there with the Mexican flag, you know, that were part of it, you know, so it, it's not as clean as like some of the mainstream liberals like mm -hmm. to say that it was, you know, uh, it, it was actually a very multiracial and multinational uprising. All right. Well, thanks for turning the tables there. I guess you, you made it into a real round table. You know? I wasn't I wasn't ready for that, but hey, I can just talk anytime. So so we've been going for a while now. I really appreciate you taking the time. Why don't we just wrap up with uh, you know, what what are you what are your plans if you have any for 2023 or dreams of uh what you want to do with photography in the coming year? Well, one plan that has been floating around, I hope to make a zine um of some of my photos with like a with a strong political messaging. I think I want to call it like capitalism and decay or something like that to kind of like catch people's attention. Uh, hopefully uh, soon I, I'd like to do like an exhibition of myself. Let's see. Uh, hopefully I travel more. 
probably in other states or other parts of California, um, just doing street photography or, or things like that. With events, we always do our annual events like May Day, um, the Chicano Moratorium, um, some of the age anniversaries out here in LA. But who knows? Sometimes things will escalate more. Uh, we, yeah, uh, we got like new people in office here in LA. Like we got Karen Bass and things like that. Lately, um, activists out here have um have been getting into like direct confrontations um with politicians like getting in their faces type of thing i like that <laughs> um i feel like that needs to happen more because um if they are if they don't listen to their constituents and um they need to be heard from for sure that's in my opinion especially because um they're selling our neighborhoods to um big real estateers to gentrification things like that so they're definitely going to hear from us um, I imagine things will uh, will get into that, that that side. I mean, I mean, we got into it with Villanueva where we're directly like calling him out, like in his own little events. So we'll we'll see. I, I look forward to like what, what what will happen in the future. How about you, Kim? Well, my dream is always to be more into photography, but with the uh, craft sale that just kind of helped hopefully jumpstart me again. And that now that I have photos, I can actually put on Instagram uh, to start my account even more. Um, and also, you know, to I was thinking like getting better lenses or a better or a, a telephoto lens that can definitely reach out more because I really like the moon, the stars kind of uh, taking photos. And now that a friend and I went to Northern Lights hunting it would be really fun to get the northern lights again and actually better photos better in focus photos you know it's, it's always it's always a dream too to be uh exhibiting some of my photos too so perhaps now that i've actually started uh getting them prepared i'll maybe more reach out more to like coffee shops or something um or be more out there with uh my photography awesome yeah, mainly to, you know, get better at it, learn. I do know the mechanics, but I forget because I haven't used it in a long time, but just to kind of get more involved. And actually, maybe one of my other goals is to get like the Lighthouse applications, um, Lightrooms, uh, to kind of even have my uh, prints look even better than just my kind of uh, basic stuff I have on my computer. And you, Brad? Sounds awesome. Yeah, I was thinking I should figure out something to say, too. Um, <laughs> I haven't had my like end of the year, like, what am I going to do next year conversation with myself? But the things that I definitely want to do, you know, like we already talked about, I'll be going on this delegation of the U.S.-Mexico border. I'll be or have my camera there. So I want to get as, as good photos as I can from that. And uh, I want to finish my 100 Strangers project that I started like three years ago and then because of COVID, I wasn't out much. And so, yeah, I want to finish that. I want to finish a either like a photo zine or book about, you know, like I said, of my DC punk scene photos from back in the day. And uh, yeah, that's, that's some pretty good goals, I guess. And I just counted the number of protests that I take, took photos at this year. And it was it's now 101 for the year. That, that includes the three weeks of the MFT, the teacher strike, which by itself was like 41 different like events and picket lines and then 50, 60 other ones. So I'm going to, I guess I'll make a goal too of doing at least that many next year too. 
So hopefully there's a lot of movements and protests that are in the streets that can be at. I'm sure there will be, uh, especially with like the, the, the decay of capitalism and the downfall of imperialism. I'm sure there's going to be lots of protests that are the correct line and a lot of contradictory kind of protests, I'm sure. So it'll be interesting, especially if ugh, is Trump going to try to run again. I mean, that would be apparently so sadly interesting. But um, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, lots of conflict yet to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so why don't we wrap up with just having each of you let people know where they can find you and your photography online. You can find me on Instagram, Polaroid, P-R-O-L-E-R-O-I-D. Um, that's where I post all my stuff. But yeah, you can find me there, mostly. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram, soon to have even more photos, uh, under Kim, uh, I spell it K-I-M-D-E-F-65. And uh, by my name on Facebook. I do have a Twitter account, but... I don't really do Twitter, so I just I'll stick with these two, and maybe um, if I get really inspired, I'll do a website. All right, thanks again, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. Oh, yeah, anytime. Sure. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. You can support Red Lens Podcast by supporting my Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash seagullphotos, S-I-G-A-L-P-H-O-T-O-S, and sign up for a small monthly donation. That will go a long way in helping sustain the podcast and my work as a political photographer. Thank you for checking out and supporting Red Lens Podcast.